Welcome to Behind the Schemes, a conversation about protecting our planet's precious wildlife from commerce, corruption, and counterfeit cures. This is Risha Kota Larson with Behind the Schemes, and in this episode, we're talking about big carnivores in big trouble, polar bears and African lions, with Dr. Peter Cat and Chris McSween of Lion Aid. So I know you guys are all about lions, but the polar bear is going to be a contentious issue at the upcoming CITES meeting. What are your thoughts about the polar bear situation? Well... Richard, the the, um, the USA, together with the Russian Federation, uh, um, have put a proposal to the CITES Conference of Parties, which is going to be held um, in, in the next couple of weeks, to uplist polar bears from Appendix 2 to Appendix 1. Um, the proposal considered that this higher level of protection was needed as polar bears, in addition to being threatened in the future by increasing loss of ice in the Arctic, um, for example, summer ice has already decreased by about uh, 15 to 20 percent due to climate change. Um, But the polar bears also seem to be significantly affected by trade. Um, The U.S. proposal mentions, for example, that from 2001 to 2010, something like six thousand, right, 6,798 polar bear products were traded, including things like skins, skulls, trophies, bodies, and live animals. Now, about 80% of that trade came from Canada. What Canada is saying, and um, they are being supported by a number of organizations, including the World Wildlife Fund, what Canada is saying is is that the the polar bear must allow must be allowed to be traded in in terms of skins and trophies because of the the um, indigenous people in Canada um, who rely on the income from um, polar bears to make ends meet. In other words, um, the indigenous um, people in Canada are allowed to to have a quota to export um, polar bear skins and trophies from Canada all over the world. And that's why they're going to China, that's why they're going to Japan, uh, that's why they're going to Norway. But I would think that um, it's, you know, you, you might ask us why is an organization like LionAid concerned with polar bears, but it's it's um, it's interesting for, for a number of the different reasons. First of all, um, with a remaining population of of perhaps 20,000 polar bears, it resembles the number of African lions also remaining in the world. Secondly, the number of sport hunting polar bear trophies and skins exported are roughly similar to the trade in similar products from lions. And the USA polar bear proposal to uplist them to a pet Appendix 1 could therefore be a test of whether such trade can be considered by societies as having a negative effect on populations. Third, third, polar bear and lion populations are only estimated, estimated rather than known. 
Yet these estimates are considered sufficient information by CITES to allow a harvest of trophies and skins. And then the polar bear uplisting is based on very important, on a very important, but still very little used concept that should guide very many CITES decisions. And this is, caused, and this is call, called the precautionary principle. Basically, the precautionary principle says that one should always err on the side of caution when allowing commercial offtake of any species where the long-term effects of such offtake is not adequately known. And that is my understanding of the precautionary principle as well. And yet I would have to say that I don't see it adhered to as much as I'd like. <laughs> no, it's, it, it's, it's not. But, you know, um, recently, um, um, about a month ago, the European Parliament passed a motion to, to urge all uh, European states to accept this precautionary principle in terms of dealing with any kind of import-export of um, um, various species that are listed by CITES and that are also listed by the European Union in wildlife trade regulations. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, you know, and what you're saying about uh, the polar bears, you know, they're having a species... Uh, legally traded in one country, not in another, with different regulations, that is, you know, in my mind, that is always going to open up opportunities for laundering whatever kind of, whatever species that is. It's, you know, it's always going to be problematic. And I wonder about, you know, what you were saying uh, uh, about this, um, you know, the people in Canada who are allowed to hunt the polar bears. Is it indeed traditional to send those to China? I mean, it, that doesn't really seem like it fits in. No, with what, the... um, Risha, what, what, um, what Canada is saying is that their um, indigenous people in Canada mm. um, have always hunted polar bears. Mm -hmm. Now, that's fine. Okay? Mm -hmm. And so, therefore, that means that the indigenous people in Canada um, have always used um, polar bear products historically. In mm -hmm. other words, they use the skins, they eat the meat or, or, or whatever. But all of a sudden, um, now what is happening is that those same indigenous people can sell their quota to trophy hunters and to skin exporters and i don't think that's right ah okay, okay. Because, yeah and i don't think that's right because you know if you're if you have a traditional means or a, or, or a tradition of hunting polar bears then that should belong to your particular indigenous group and you should be able to use those products products, uh, you know, as, as sort of a, um, a cultural means or a historical means of utilizing the, the environment around you. But then do not um, allow those polar bears that, that you say are, are important to your culture and needed by your culture to be exported to China and to Russia and to Norway and places like that. Now, the other thing is that... Um, 
in Norway um, and in the USA and uh, um, in the Russian Federation, there are also indigenous people who have also used in the past um, these polar bear products, but they are not allowed to do so um, in Russia. That that will come about again, I think, in, in 2000 or, or yeah, 2014. That will come about again. There, there's a there's a um, there's a, a proposal to to change all that in the USA in, in Alaska. Um, indigenous people are allowed to use polar bear products, but don't export them. I mean that's 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 fair. Yeah, that I think that is in the as you might say the the, the spirit of the law. You know, if you're going to use the product and it really is for your historical and cultural use, then you would not be exporting it. But the commercial exports, you know, I think that's, excuse me, I think that's where the real uh, trouble begins. And that's where uh, all sorts of uh, unscrupulous things begin to happen. Well, I think also, you know, what 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 we're starting to realize now with the polar bears is that there are something like 19 recognized populations of polar bears in the world, um, all around you know sort of the the um, the Arctic. And um, of those 19, only one population is thought to be increasing in numbers. Three are supposed to be stable. Eight populations are decreasing, and seven populations are completely unknown. Hmm. For some populations, assessments are only made once every 10 to 15 years. So basically, we don't know how many polar bears there are, what the status of the population is, and whether they can sustain any kind of commercial offtake, given the fact that the populations are already declining because of climate change. So if society says, okay, Polar bears are going to come onto Appendix 1. That doesn't mean that all, all trade is stopped. It just means that the, um, the, the external trade, in other words, the exports are stopped. Mm-hmm. CITES Appendix 1 doesn't mean that you cannot continue to utilize polar, polar bears, for example, in this case, internally within your own country. And it would seem, one, applying the precautionary principle, and two, if the polar bears are in fact being harvested for traditional and uh, cultural reasons, then there wouldn't be a reason to export them. I mean, the it, it, the commercial exports, I think, uh, are are problematic. No, I think you're absolutely yeah. right, and I think, I think that's that's where the the proposal um, from the uh, um, the USA and the Russian Federation came from mm-hmm. is to impose some kind of, of um, limits and um, um, a means of assessing um, how polar bear populations are faring compared to you know all these these exports. There are something like um, six thousand eight hundred polar bear products being exported from um, two thousand and one to two thousand and ten. Um, that's far too much, considering that you only have 20,000 polar bears left. And this, again, has got great parallels with lions, where we've got similar things Mm -hmm. happening, and Mm -hmm. there were 50,000 lions left. 
So we, we're watching this with very great interest. Hmm. Because lions didn't even make it to the agenda for this CITES meeting. The problem with, with the lions is that um, there is so much money that is being made by the um, range states that, um, that support sport hunting of lions mm -hmm. that um, there are very few of them who will actually um, have the courage to propose an uplisting to CITES Appendix 1. Now, this was done by Kenya in 2004, um, but then that was Kenya actually withdrew that, that application, saying that we don't know, know enough about lion populations and, and the, the, um, the consequences of a commercial offtake. So Kenya withdrew that 2004 application in favor of the African lion range states doing proper counts. Mm -hmm. Now, this has still not happened. This has still not happened. However, in the meantime, in the meantime, and again, you know, thanks to the United States, what has happened is that there is now a proposal sitting uh, on the uh, the desk of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to list lions under the U.S. Endangered Species Act. And this could be a very, very positive thing for, for, for lions because... 60 plus percent of all the lion trophies that are being hunted in Africa these days go to the U.S. I wouldn't mind seeing a stop to that, that's for sure. <laughs> so anything, anything that would decrease it. But, you know, what, what people also don't realize is that if, um, if the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service places lions on the Endangered Species Act, this is not just a negative thing in terms of, you know, not allowing skins and trophies to be imported into the U.S. It also means that the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service will provide funding um, to African lion range states to improve their um, lion conservation measures. In terms of the money that's being made by the um, lion range states from trophy hunting, most of that money does not stay within... Africa, it goes to the um, operators who, who who are operating the hunts. It doesn't go to the benefit of the African lion range states themselves. That's a, a myth that's perpetrated by the hunting fraternity. But, but lion hunting is one of two flagship trophy species. And the truth of the matter is that if lion trophy hunting was to stop, then it would have a serious negative impact on the trophy hunting business because everybody going on a trophy hunt wants to hunt lion. Ugh. <laughs> so we need to get some funding going into the African yeah. lion range states so that they can be persuaded from the, the small amounts of money that come into them or the promise, the promise of monies that, that mainly don't materialise from consumptive tourism to convert to non-consumptive tourism. Tourism. And that's that seems to be a key um, change that needs to happen. So if the lion does go on to the Endangered Species Act in America, that could be a very, very good thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it will also bring more attention to the species as well, because I think there is still a perception in a lot of the world that uh, Afri the African continent is 
is brimming with lions and wildlife. And uh, yes. unfortunately, that is uh, not, sadly, that's not necessarily the case. No, we, we estimate that there are barely 15,000 lions left now on the African continent, and there are only five viable lion populations. And we don't, have, we don't know of any lion population that, that is increasing in the way that we know that there is one uh, um, polar bear population that's increasing. Mm-hmm. So there is a lot of work to be done for lions. There really is. And with the lions, they're pretty scattered out, in, scattered around in very small prides, aren't they? They're just not able well, to... Especially, especially with the... The, um, the Western African lions, which are genetically distinct, the Western mm-hmm. African lions are much more related to lions in India than um, lions in other parts of Africa. Um, and we estimate that there's perhaps uh, 700 of those in the total area of Western Africa. Now, Western Africa um, is pr- probably, if you you know, if you look at the the, the total area. Uh, um, exceeds the size of um, half of the United States. So only having about 700 lions there, you know, gives you an an indication. But also what happens is that those 700 lions are scattered about in very small populations. You've got 30 here, you've got 40 there. Mm -hmm. I think the country that probably has the most um, uh, lions left in... in, uh, Western Africa is probably Cameroon, um, but they're also trophy hunting them in Cameroon. Now, and when we say they have the most left, they've probably only got about 150 huh. maximum left, so very small population. Now, how could a small population like that sustain trophy hunting? It can't. Yeah. That's no, the problem. I can't. And, and even though you know they they um, they come in and you know we've looked at the um, the trophy hunting numbers mm-hmm. and per year it's about five five or six or ten or something like that but you know to take um, lions out of that population is really not sustainable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When the lions are in these very small prides like this, how? How can there be any genetic diversity? Is that a problem? Yes. Yes, it is. It is a big problem. And, you know, what, what, what we're starting to think is that, um, you know, emotionally, uh, we would very much like those very small lion populations to survive. Mm-hmm. But in terms of, um, you know, looking at it from the... the the, um, the very um, cold-hearted biological point of view, um, a population of 30 animals completely isolated from any other animal population of its same species um, anywhere else is not going to have a very good chance of survival because anything, a disease, a fire, um, um, let's say that um, there, there's some people that come in there with cattle, there's some poaching, you know, anything can, can disrupt the, um, the su- population survival of that, um, that species. Hmm. Uh, now, 
the lion bone trade. <laughs> What's the latest in that situation? We've talked about that before, and um, it's not getting any better, is it? No, it's shocking. No, the the um, the the statistics that we have received um, recently show that there's only an increase, only an increase in the lion bone trade. Uh. For example, from um, South Africa in 2010, okay, okay, there were 586 bones exported to Laos. And in 2011, three times that number. Um, in, in 2010, there were 100 skeletons exported to Laos. In 2011, four times that number. Um, Laos also seems to now be involved in the trophy hunting trade of, um, of lions. And then the other country that we're, we're also looking at in ter terms of um, lion bones and things like that is um, Vietnam. And what we see there is also um, an increase in terms of the, the, um, the bone trade and the skeleton trade. So what's happening is, is that South Africa continues to supply the demand for lion bones, which has been created by the disappearance of, of um, tigers. So in the traditional medicine or, or in, in whatever, um, it, you know, these, these, these tiger bones were used for in the past, we see a much greater substitution of um, lion bones per year. And we expect that, you know, once we get the 2012 numbers, which are not available yet, but we we will see a further increase in, in bone trade going to Laos and Vietnam. In fact, we'll see a further increase in 2011 because we're only part way through um, receiving the figures for 2011. If 2010 is anything to go by, it took till <laughs> the back end of the year before the CITES trade database figures stabilised. So if we're already seeing a threefold... A fourfold increase in lion bone and lion skeleton exports from South Africa. What is it going to look like? We'll get to the end of 2011. Ugh. What would it look like? 2012 figures. They're just going, they're too frightening to contemplate. And taking back, thinking back to the conversation we had before we started on lion bone and how fragile lion populations are, this, this is really something that lions are not going to be able to sustain as a business. So as a trade in their in their body parts. Now it it would seem to me that whoever's doing the exporting, you know, they know very well what the lion bones and the skeletons are being used for. Don't you think it would be their responsibility to say, you know what, we are not going to contribute to uh, to to this trade, we we know what you're doing, and wouldn't it seem like they, it would be, it would be uh, more mm, ethical for them to turn these buyers over to the authorities because there's you know there's a very well known case in South Africa where the uh, uh, lion breeder uh, was also involved with the uh, rhino horn trade. I mean, these people that are um, 
buying the lion bones and exporting them, I don't think it would be a stretch to think that they are also involved in other types of wildlife trade. I mean, wouldn't you think that the right thing to do would be to uh, provide those names to the authorities as a lead, perhaps? I think you're right, Risha, but the right thing to do, rhino horn, lion bone, tiger (laughs) bone, um, elephant ivory, the right thing to do isn't the same path as making a lot of money. Mm. And these Mm -hmm. paths are divergent. And the path that that the well-trodden path seems to be that they're making a lot of money and, and ethics and the right thing to do don't really enter into the equation. Hmm. Well, and also, Risha, you know, if you if you want to consider ethics, I mean, you know, these these lion bones that are emanating from South Africa and being exported all come from the um, um, canned lion um, breeding and canned lion hunting to begin with. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're already dealing with a morally corrupt industry there. Yeah. And they're just making a um, you know a secondary product by exporting these these bones, which are now all the rage in Laos and Vietnam. Uh. These, these aren't living creatures anymore. These these are commodities that they, they can trade and make money from various parts of that animal. They they don't see them as as mm-hmm. um, a live animal that has any kind of ethical consideration. And mm-hmm. you know uh, along. Along with that, Risha, I think, um, you know, a lot of people are very concerned about all these tiger breeding farms that that, uh, are in China. Mm -hmm. Um, People are up in arms about, you know, the fact that these tigers are specifically bred for their body parts Mm -hmm. and um, that there might be about something like 5,000 lions that are, sorry, tigers that are being bred in China for their body parts. But um, nobody is paying very much attention attention to the exact same situation in South Africa, where something like 5,000 lions are also being bred for their body parts. Yeah, that's an, that's an um, excellent point. I mean, first of all, there's the commercial trade issue. But secondly, it would seem to me that, that the lions could somehow fall under additional protection as a lookalike species. Well, yes, but you know these are these are it's it's slightly different because you know South Africa is exporting these um, lion bones as, as lion bone, mm-hmm. and you know what they're what they're saying is that um, for us in South Africa it's fine to to have five thousand lions mm-hmm. being captive bred for their body parts, but it is not okay for China to have five thousand tigers being bred for their body parts. Mm-hmm. And CITES, you know, and, and the world community is all up in arms about the, the the tigers in China, but they have nothing to say about all these these um, lions sitting there in, in South Africa under the same circumstances. Well, I certainly think some things need to be said about that. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. We have been known to say one or two things ourselves. Yes. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, tell us about um, a meeting that you had recently uh, with the Joint uh, Liaison Group, and also, uh, if, for people who might not know, uh, what what is the Joint Liaison Group? If you could just tell us about that. 
here in in the UK, there's a, there's a very good setup in terms of the um, joint liaison group, and the, the liaison group is composed of the um, the government department um, that um, has a lot to do with with CITES issues, um, and what we do is about uh, once every two months we all come together as um, non-governmental organizations and then you know there's the government representatives there and we talk about Hang a number on. And, of and there are trade organizations there that represent other bodies hunting bodies maybe taxidermy so there is a cross whole cross section of of people that come along to this meeting so anyway it's it, it's a it's a very active um, discussion group where you know we can we can report what we think uh, the government could do in terms of various CITES issues, and then the government can tell us you know what uh, actions they're going to take. So it's a um, it's a it's a wonderful situation where we can all come come together, give our views, and hopefully um, influence to some extent the um, the government position. The chair of the meeting is from the government, and so therefore says, yes, you know, now who else has a question, who else has a statement? So there's not very much of a discussion going on, but we can mm -hmm. get our, our uh, opinions across. Mm -hmm. And for example, we brought up at that meeting the um, lion breeding farms in South Africa, because another um, NGO had brought up the tiger breeding farms in China. So we then brought up the lion breeding farms in South Africa. And as Peter says, you don't really get a discussion on that, but all these points get minuted and noted. So, mm -hmm. um, and it's, uh, and to be fair, it's done in a, in a very constructive format. So hopefully some good comes from these discussions or from these observations. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, I, I definitely uh, agree that more focus and more attention needs to be paid to these uh, uh, lion farms, if you will. And I actually, I, you know, the name farm, you know, we say lion farms, tiger farms, bear farms. And farm, I think, still kind of conjures up something nice in, in people's minds. So I, I'd like to think of a more... <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, you happy, know, happy little cows running around in the field. Yeah. And yeah. No, that, that, they, more, these are not nice. <laughs> no, they're not nice. I mean, uh, well, and, you know, especially with the bears, you know, maybe, you know, these are more like, uh, you know, they're more like prisons. They're more like, de you know, death row for these animals, really. Well, you know, what, what from from what we've seen from the um, the various um, uh, um, pictures that have been taken of these China um, tiger farms and the South African rhino, uh, sorry, uh, lion yeah. farms, mm -hmm. it, is that they, they look like concentration camps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in terms of the lions, the the mm -hmm. um, the cubs are taken away from the mothers moments after birth. And the mother is brought back into Eastras so that they can get her pregnant again as soon as they can. And the cubs are then put out for cub petting. So people going to South Africa thinking how wonderful it is um, to go and feed or, or pet a, a, a baby lion, a lion cub. 
little realise that this has been loaned to them from the game farms. And once that cub has earned sufficient money being petted and cuddled and photographed by tourists, it will then go back to the lion farm and it will go out for the canned hunting. Yep. Yep. And then once it's been... And now, of course, we've got another trade that follows on from that because once that lion has been put out for a canned hunt and it's been shot, the the happy tourist hunter goes home with his trophy head and his skin. And the, um, the operator who operated the canned hunt has the bones, which he can then sell to the highest bidder for the lion bone trade. There's, um, there was a term that was um, used that every part of the pig is eaten except the squeak. You remember that? <laughs> I haven't heard that, but that's... Um... Okay. <laughs> and it's, it, it's, it's really getting to that point with the, uh, with the lions as well. You know, these, these lions are being bred on these farms, mm -hmm. and every single little bit of those lions is now being traded by South Africa. Oh, and there's another, well, there's another two businesses that, that um, are part of that little little grouping. First of all, you've got the, um, the tourist volunteers who will pay whatever amount of money, $5,000, two, three thousand pounds, whatever it is, and they will go out for a short period of time and volunteer to help with the conservation as they see it, as they think they're, be, they're doing, and they get they. They go to these lion farms where they help clean out the the cages for these for these lion cubs. Little realizing, not knowing at all that these actually these animals are all part of a scheme that are going to end up um, as a trophy and their bones going off to Laos or Vietnam or wherever. And of course, we've now got a, another trade which is not really started yet, but it's sitting there threatening, and that's the um, exotic meat trade, the lion burgers. Ugh. <laughs> oh my gosh well there was almost some good news from Zambia but <laughs> something happened didn't it tell us about that well Zambia um, I think is um, is sitting on the fence I think that um, what happened in Zambia is that the um, there was a lot of protest by Zambian citizens against the amount of trophy hunting that, that was going on in the country because the Zambian citizens felt that um, they were losing their wildlife heritage. And um, so the, the recently instated Minister of uh, um, Tourism and Arts, who is in charge of, of wildlife, her name is um, Sylvia Masebo, she said, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to put a um, moratorium on all um, hunting um, in, in various concessions and also a moratorium on all leopard and lion hunting because we don't know to what extent um, this hunting is actually benefiting the communities, benefiting the country and also destroying the populations because we don't know to begin with how many lions we have. So she said, what we're going to do is we're going to put a stop to this. And, um, you know, this was all looking very positive. However, what then happened is that the, 
the Safari Club International invited Minister Masebo to their um, their convention, and this was in, uh, um, I believe, in February. First week in February. Yeah. Safari Club. Club International is yeah. a very big, important hunting organization and lobby. And so anyway, she went there and um, she, she um, stood up. And what she said is that um, the fact of the matter, and I'm quoting from her now, the fact of the matter is for the last 15 years, Zambia has not conducted a scientific survey of these species, the hunting trophies, including the cats. And so even the quotas we have been giving out in the past were not based on science. So, so we thought it was only responsible that we stop, in other words, put a moratorium on the hunting, in order to give ourselves time to do what needed to be done, in other words, to count the lions. Then she said, um, what she wanted from the safari club of international was for them to come and help count the the lions and leopards in Zambia, and apparently, um, in one night um, while she was there, something like one point two million dollars was pledged yes to um, Zambia to do these um, these lion counts by the Safari Club International, in other words, the trophy hunters. Now we have we have some problems with that because we know that that the trophy hunters and their their lobbying groups have, have been very um, active in places like um, Zambia, um, also in in uh, Tanzania and Mozambique, to go out and do their supposed counts of lions. In Tanzania, for example, there was a guy who went out there and he spent. Uh, um, I think about two months, and um, he counted supposedly 16,000 lions, 16,000 lions in Tanzania alone. Now, he didn't go out and count them. What he did was, you know, he sent people letters and he said, well, have you seen a lion in the past day, in the past week, in the past month, in the past year? And with that information, he extrapolated, you know, some some kind of amazing picture of a lion under every tree in Tanzania. The reason why um, this was done was to convince the Tanzanian government that there are plenty of lions in Tanzania and that they can continue trophy hunting lions in that country. And what we we fear is that if the Safari Club International is now being invited to participate in um, a lion count in Tanzania, in Zambia. I'm sorry, in Zambia, they will find, um, you know, thousands and thousands of lions there, and they will tell the minister, look, your country is fine. You've got so many lions, you don't know what to do with them, so please allow us to, to continue trophy hunting. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not laughing. I know it's not it's not funny, but, you know, just looking at the situation. So you have this big hunting lobby. You have a vested, lobby. Interest. Yeah. Yeah. A vested interest. A ve 
offering to conducting the conducting the count. Oh yeah, pledging pledging money, offering to do to do the count. I mean, come on. <laughs> they courted her basically, mm -hmm. and they said, um, you know, we must convince this minister to change her mind about stopping the trophy hunting in Zambia, and this is how we're going to do it. Oh and gosh. so she went and she gave, you know, she gave the speeches and things like that. Now, I don't know whether or not um, what she said there at that mm. meeting was actually um, going, is actually going to be from now on anything to do with the, um, the Zambian government or anything like that. Um, but anyway, she was there as a politician. She was there as a minister. And she said, OK, Safari Club International, you guys are not are working with us to count animals in our country. But let's just take this little back to, to the conversation we were having some 20 minutes ago, 10, 15 minutes ago, whenever it was, when we were talking about the very little money that comes into an African lion range state from trophy hunting and how the communities don't benefit. So um, this same minister had already identified that they got precious little funding from consumptive tourism from trophy hunting and what she was asking for very clearly before she was courted by SCI was that she needed donor governments, donor agencies, um, external funding to come into Zambia to allow her to follow the non-consumptive tourism route, in other words the photographic safaris and nothing so far has come forward but the the SCI are straight in there, straight in there with offers of funding. So what does a country that is fairly impoverished and looking for funding going to do when you're tempted by millions of dollars being flashed before you? Uh, no, you yeah. what, what does she do? I mean, morally, she should tell them to... to... Yes, she <laughs> should. <laughs> Practically, practically, she's got she's got books yeah. to balance. She has got she has got to go back to her president and say how she's going to provide funding, um, having taken away the very meagre monies that were coming mm -hmm. through from consumptive tourism. But nonetheless, there was some money coming through. I think it was something like three million dollars, and that was over a period of what. That's one year, $3 million a year, which was very, very little. And she recognised that and that they were mining their, their greatest asset, which was the lions. But that $3 million has got to be replaced by $3 million and more from other sources. So I think there is a responsibility on non-lion range state wealthier nations to step in here and not allow Safari Club International to um, dictate the tune, which is exactly what has happened yeah that's an excellent point that would be that is a very good opportunity i think for uh for someone else to to step in um because like you said i think we know what the result of that population count is going to be yes yes <laughs> i mean unfortunately we do know mm-hmm and and at the moment it's not altogether lost but, but it's looking yeah. like it's lost so really it's a plea to go out to um 
donor governments and agencies to say, come on, guys, this is the time to step in and help Zambia. And, and you know, Zambia is an important test case here, a bit like the polar bears are an important test case for CITES. Zambia is an important test case because Botswana have now, now declared that they're going to have a moratorium um, on lion trophy hunting. If Zambia were to maintain the, the ban that they have in place as of the um, end of uh, beginning of January, which is when she declared this, if they were to keep that in place, that's, that starts to become a bit of a, a turning point. We can see other lion red states start to reconsider their positions because they all know what the position is, but they need funding. They need to replace mm -hmm. consumptive tourism funding with non-consumptive tourism funding, and it's that simple. Yeah. How can we get lions closer to an Appendix 1 listing, and how would that affect the captive-bred lions in South Africa, just going back to South Africa and that situation there? Because it, it what's happening there is affecting other countries. It, it is this lion bone trade. Uh, it, it is an international issue. Well, I think, um, look, what we, what we need to accept is that um, the CITES process is, um, is going to be very cumbersome um, in terms of lions because it will not happen that, that quick. Very slow. But in the yes. meantime, yeah. But in the meantime, what we can do is that, um, you know, CITES is, is not the only sort of uh, um, organization that, um, that has anything to do with, with um, trade in, in animal species. For example, if the United States passes the Endangered Species Act for lions, um, you know, that will, will, that will take one country out of the formula in terms of lion trophy hunt mm -hmm. without CITES. Um, what we are hoping is that um, the the European Union, 27 countries, will also join in mm -hmm. and will say that they we're going to follow the United States, so taking another uh, big chunk out of the market. What we're also hoping is that um, there will be other countries that, that follow, especially Botswana's example, um, and hopefully um, Zambia's example, and say, okay, what we're going to do is we're not going to allow any trade in um, in in lion products. So in other words, what we're trying to do is, um, yes, we must accept that um, lions will not appear on any CITES agenda at this meeting coming up in March this year. Um, but in the meantime, um, there's a lot of activity in terms of, of lion conservation that is happening by the individual range states and by the importing states. And I think that's only good. Yes, it is. In terms, in terms of, of uh, your question, and you know about captive bred animals, um, I think that CITES, um, in general, um, has an exemption for anything that is captive bred in mm -hmm. terms of uh, their trade regulations. Um, so that's why you get, um, you know. A huge trade in things like uh, python skins and crocodile skins and lion trophies from South Africa and things like that, because they're all 
half the bread. And I think I remember in the papers that one of these lion breeders was quoted as saying that lions are, are just like chickens and, and people should get over yes, being sentimental. Yes, yes. And, you know, my feeling on that is yes, exactly. yeah, that's right. a lot of people look at South Africa as the steward of this animal that is so important in so many cultures, the lion, who doesn't love the lion? And when you hear something like that, I mean, it just doesn't no, because, seem like I mean, they're living know, up to that responsibility. It is a big responsibility to be, especially now with so, you know, with wildlife just seemingly disappearing everywhere. If if you're the steward of a, of a well-loved species like the lion and then you're saying they're like chickens and you can do what you want with them and you're you know having having them euthanized you know 20 at a time um wow i just keep going back to uh morally bankrupt <laughs> well i think i think you're right and i think that um look you know what what these guys are doing is they're saying you know we breed chickens and we breed cattle and we breed um, mm -hmm. uh, pigs, so why not breed lions, right? Mm -hmm. Because they're mm -hmm. they're just they're they're, they're just animals, mm -hmm. right? So they're all the same. Mm -hmm. And but now where, where um, you know, and, and a long time ago, I was I was talking about this this same issue with Richard Leakey in Kenya, mm -hmm. and he said, oh, okay, where, where then do you draw the line? Okay, mm -hmm. do you allow Captive breeding of chimpanzees and gorillas to be trophy hunted. Mm -hmm. <laughs> where where do you draw the line? Yeah, exactly. Ugh. And you you can see the point that that he was trying to make and that I'm yeah. trying to make in terms of saying there are some species that you just cannot consider as um, candidates for any kind of captive breeding for you to go and shoot them. And okay, we. Say we, we do this with, with cattle and we do this with, with pigs and things like that, but at the same time, we eat them. We don't eat lions, except in the United States where you have some lion burgers being served on tables and things like that. Ugh. But, you know, it is not for food. It is purely for entertainment, ent yeah. entertainment and pleasure and sport hunting. Mm -hmm. So do we, do we allow animals to be bred specifically Specifically for somebody's entertainment to kill them, and I think that's the big difference. Yeah, I agree. The the thrill killing, you know, the the photos, you see the thrill in their faces. They're smiling. They don't look like, well, I had to do it. I was managing wildlife. I didn't have a choice. That's not the look on their faces. Well, the other thing is that, you know, these people that that go out and um, shoot these animals are basically shooting goldfish in a bowl okay yeah it is not it is not hunting you know even even among themselves the trophy hunters will will ridicule those who go out and shoot one of these canned lions because yeah. they say there's you know you're 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 shooting an animal off a bait you're shooting an animal from your car you're shooting an animal from from a blind or whatever you mm -hmm. know that's not trophy hunting that is not I'm in not the spirit only. of trophy not only are you doing that, but that same animal was probably part of the cub petting program before it became a trophy animal, as we discussed earlier. Mm -hmm. So that 
that lion has no fear of human beings. It sees human beings as something, someone that's going to come and give it food and photograph it and pet it. Yeah, yeah, I have heard that as well, that, that hunters who want to be true to the sport, if you will, yeah, they even they find that unpalatable. Yes. So I think that but, you says know, something. <laughs> on the other hand, on the other hand, what, what South Africa is doing by breeding these lions mm -hmm. is they're providing um, a bargain basement trophy. Yeah. Because, you know, you, you, you have to pay a lot of money to go and hunt hunt a lion in Tanzania and um, used to be in Zambia and, and still in Mozambique, you have to pay a huge amount of money. But you can you can buy and you can select it even from a menu. You go on the internet and you can say, um, okay, I'm going to this particular farm in South Africa and I want this particular lion because I can see it on a picture. Okay? The it's like shots. in a Chinese <laughs> The mug shots are all up there. Yeah. Choose the lion you want to shoot. And yeah, no, so really. I, want, I want this this one, and you go there, and you shoot it, and then you come back. But it's only going to cost you about $20,000. So, you know, for $20,000, you get this trophy on your wall, and um, you don't have to expend any energy. You can, you know, you hardly have to walk to, to go and shoot this lion. Um, so it, it appeals to people, and I don't understand why it does. Yeah, it just... Ew. <laughs> so... What do you think would happen if these private operations that are dealing in lions and, and lion bones, what do you think would happen if they were, you know, businesses, I, I don't, you know, sometimes businesses get audited. What do you think would happen if they were audited by an independent uh, party? I mean, if there is such a thing as an ind independent party, but what do you think we might find out if uh, from an audit of uh, some of these businesses? Well you know, it's it's a big business, mm -hmm. and um, it's all according to them. It's all above board, and it's all legal. Okay? Mm -hmm. But the thing is that um, it is, and and you know, it is a business that is feeding mm -hmm. um, illegal uh, trade in lions. For example, there's very good evidence that lion cubs are being taken from Botswana and put into South Africa to um, um, support this captive breeding uh, of, of lions. And it's probably not only Botswana. I'm sure there's there's other countries in Africa as well where lion cubs are captured and then put into this um, this this uh, lion breeding trade. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that the, the uh, I'm not only sure, I'm convinced that the, um, the, uh, the lion bone trade that is now being stimulated by South Africa captive breeders is now as and, and the same thing happened with, with rhinos is now going to take off and there's going to be a lot of commercial poaching of lions which never happened before mm -hmm. and and because what they have done is they have created uh, a market for lion bones in countries like laos and vietnam apparently the um <clears throat> lion bones these days are are between three and five hundred U.S. dollars per kilo, and pretty soon somebody is going to figure out. Well, it's a lot easier for me to go out and shoot a lion in the wild, take the bones, and you know enter that into the market. Same thing with the rhino. Yeah. Ugh. On that note, what 
can we do to help lions and what can we do to help you guys? Well, um, we very much would like um, as much support as we can get because we we, we are um, a, a charity and we don't get any um, government funding or um, serious funding. So we, we do rely on the general public to donate to us to... Um, support the work that we're doing. We have an awful lot of work to do. We are the thorn in the side of um, agencies, CITES, everything else, because we keep digging through the information, bringing as much information forward and putting it forward to um, Lion Range states and to CITES authorities. Um, we need to bring about change. And we don't just deal with lions. We, as, as um, Peter showed you with the, the polar bears, we do a lot of work on polar bears we do a lot of investigative work on um, rhinos on um, elephant ivory um, because it's the same operators that are dealing in all these species but um, we do very much rely on support coming in across from the from the US from Europe from from wherever wherever Australia Australia is starting to come on as a as a country that's um, helping us out a bit but people need to do slightly more than say, yes, I think you guys are doing a great job because we can't do it without tangible financial support from people. And if more people donated, even very small amounts, it's a, it's a, an austere world at the moment, it would all help us because it would add up and it would, it would give us the, the way forward to keep doing the work that we're doing and to make a difference because we do have to save these endangered species. Obviously, lion is, is the number one for us we're working more and more with all um, these other agencies and we just need that help. Excellent. Well, thanks for all the good work that you guys are doing. And it was great to speak with both of you. And with again. you. Uh, <laughs> and with you. We love and speaking as with, always you, with you, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to Big Carnivores in Big Trouble, Polar Bears and African Lions with Dr. Peter Cat and Chris McSween of Lion Aid. This is Risha Kotalarsson with Behind the Schemes.